You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Eric Larson, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay, and today you will be enjoying an interview with Eric Larson. I got to chat with Eric uh, recently over Skype in preparation for the episode that I was doing about Amazing Spider-Man, The Return of the Sinister Six. So I talked to him about his thoughts on Spider-Man, how he came to draw that book, and, and just the differences kind of between... Uh, his run on Amazing Spider-Man, and when he was writing and drawing the adjectiveless Spider-Man shortly after that, before moving over to Image. We also kind of dip into some of the other stuff that he did during his time at Marvel, like um, Excalibur and Punisher, Uh, and he's got some pretty cool stories to tell. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, But just before we get to the interview, I want to give a quick plug to our Patreon site, If you head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack, you can become a supporter of this podcast and all of the other podcasts that are on the Thunderquack podcast network. It would just help share some of the fees uh, that, you know, hosting and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And and starting very soon, I'm going to be putting up some dust jacket covers that I've been creating on Photoshop because I've been turning my non-epic collections into epic collections and, uh, and some of the people on the Marvel Masterworks forum like the idea. So I think uh, for those of you who support the podcast, I will uh, put up one a month of, uh, of a Marvel, one of those big fat trades, a complete collection or something like that, and make a dust jacket for it in the epic style. So it has the epic collection trade dress on it. Uh, and if you want an example of that, you can head over to our Facebook page, and I've posted some pictures. And uh, yeah, you can join in the fun make your own epic collections so anyway enough of that this is the interview with eric larson did you read spider-man growing up as a kid i did it wasn't the first book i read uh by any means but it was um it was there yeah definitely and uh, what era was that? What Which uh, creators were on at the time that you were reading? The artist on it was Ross Andrew, and it was numerous different writers. So I kind of came in, I, I don't know if I can put an issue number on there, R- roughly around 150. Oh, okay. Probably a couple issues later than that. I had them in and, in and around there. So it's like the, the death of Gwen Stacy is something I knew happened, but it was not something I read as a fresh new comic book. Okay. Did any of those writers or artists have an impact in, in you get eventually getting into comics yourself? Um, not Spider-Man in particular. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> I was more of a, of a Kirby guy and more of a... Just other comics in general. Spider-Man, it was a book that I enjoyed, but it wasn't like, oh, this was this was it. This is the pinnacle. Ah. So when you got to actually drawing Spider-Man, I'm sure it was still exciting for you, but it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't like... a dream gig. It wasn't like, <laughs> this is the book I always wanted to do, because I was more of a, a Kirby guy than I was a Ditko guy. So it yeah. was a real stretch for me artistically, because it just wasn't wasn't what I did. There were a few things that happened before Spider-Man. Well, the th- thing is, I did an issue of Spider-Man before I did my run on Spider-Man and before I did a fill-in on Spider-Man because I had been showing various editors my work forever, just trying to break in. I finally landed a regular gig elsewhere, and I was doing 
a, a little bit of something, but but an editor at Marvel had contacted me and said, basically, we need a fill-in on Spider-Man. Can you do something quickly? And so I I did one earlier on, I think 287. Right. And uh, Jim Owsley was uh, drawing it, at the, uh, writing it at the time. I was just, you know, sort of a young, hungry guy wanting to get whatever I could get my hands on. And so I, I did that fill-in. But I wasn't being offered the book on a regular basis, so I wasn't really like, I should just keep pestering this this editor and see if I can get more and more work. <laughs> I, I kind of ended up having other people who were pursuing me to do stuff elsewhere, so I kind of took the easier route there. Some years later, Salakrept would say, hey, how come, you didn't, how come you didn't follow up on that? And it just obliviously i didn't didn't even occur to me that that's something i should be doing oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you idiot (laughs) oh well so when you say you had to do it do number 287 quick how quick was that uh two weeks i think oh wow two weeks and you did it you pulled it off yeah because i I, like i said I, i had another book that i was doing for another publisher at that same time so it was kind of like, all right, well, we need this and and we need that. So you better get on it, kid. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was perfectly willing to work every waking hour, really. So I had no problem with it. I, I had no girlfriend at the time and <laughs> and no other real social obligations. So it's like, all right, I'm on it. One of the first. Uh, kind of regular gigs that you had at Marvel was working with Marvel Comics Presents. And I recently just read your Excalibur story. Mm-hmm. And man, that is wacky. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it was, that was kind of a fun thing. And I think ultimately that was the job that got me Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, Jim Salakrip was, I had showed him those samples at a convention. And I think he could see in that, oh, this guy is, bringing to the, the work the same level of kind of cartooniness that Todd had been doing on the book and and a, a level of detail that, that Todd was doing on the on the book. So it was like, oh, okay, this guy's got detail and he's got kind of a bouncy, cartoony feel for it, much more so than when I was doing The Punisher, which was the thing that preceded that. Right. Kind of a weird sequence of events that – ended with me getting the stuff that I ended up getting because I was I, I initially had left DC Comics where I was doing a, a book over there and was offered the Punisher and it was like oh okay I'll do the Punisher and then it, as soon as I got on it I was like this could not be a worse fit for me <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> it just it's like everything about this is not working I'm I'm not real good with with drawing hardware. I'm not real good with drawing vehicles, and, oh, and it's like <laughs> I, I really want to do that sort of bombastic uh, guys getting knocked through walls kind of stuff and and high energy stuff. And it's like I, this this book doesn't lend itself particularly well to that sort of thing. Right. <laughs> wow. It's like, oh, we want you to draw these locations, and it's got to be this kind of thing. And all of it was like. Holy crap! I I couldn't be less well suited to be doing this. And then that Excalibur <laughs> story is like the total opposite of that. Then yeah, what had happened is I had pitched. I wanted to do Nova. I was a big fan of Nova when I was growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. and so it was like oh, I want to do Nova. So I pitched Nova, reviving him and bringing him back. So I pitched a serial to Terry Cavanaugh so that I could write and draw this Nova thing, and I got it approved. So as soon as that happened, I was like, yes, see you, Punisher. <laughs> and, and I left to go do that. And then as soon as I had quit the book and was getting geared up to start on that, then it was like, oh, no, we're going to be doing this new Warriors thing. What you have in mind for this serial doesn't fit. Oh, no. And it was like, oh, crap. I just quit my regular gig to do this thing that now doesn't exist. Oh, great. <laughs> And it was like, and Terry's like, well, I can have you do this Excalibur thing. That that doesn't have an artist. <laughs> I I have I have zero love for Excalibur. It's not even it's not a book I really follow. I don't really care about any of the characters. But 
this is work and I need work. So yeah, here we go. Were you a fan uh, of uh, Looney Tunes? Not, uh, I mean, enough that I knew who they were and I'd seen a bunch of their cartoons because I was a kid. You, yeah, when you're course. a kid, you watch everything that's on. Yeah. It's not like I had like toys or items or yeah. I don't even, even know. Were there videos at that point? I don't think there even were. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe not. <laughs> like, Jesus, man, that was like during the Taft administration. They didn't have anything. So that one leaned really heavy on comedy. Um, is that something yeah. that you were used to? Because Punisher wasn't comedy at all. No, it wasn't. I had stuck in some kind of goofy stuff when I was doing the Doom Patrol over at DC. So there was a little bit of that. And my sensibility kind of tends towards doing stuff that's a little kind of goofy and fun. So it, there was something there. There was, a, there was some kind of a background there, something that it's like, all right, I've, I've got this. But yeah, it's, it's a different animal. Spider-Man seems like the the perfect blend between the Punisher and that goofy Excalibur. Yeah. I mean, there, there was definitely places where I could have fun with it. There was some, some real decisions you need to make as a creator because a lot of these characters are fairly, I would say, ill-defined in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because they've been drawn by so many different people over the years that you can go, okay, well, what does the Kingpin actually look like? Is he just like a Bilson Kevich drawing where he's like a ball with a head on top? <laughs> yeah, right. Or is he the John Romita version? He's got this huge, massive head. And then various other artists interpret him really differently from one another. And and part of, of doing these books is is just going, well, okay, if I'm drawing the real guy, what does – what what should this guy look like as a as a real person? Because I don't I don't even know. You know, it's it's this thing where if if six different artists are all drawing the president, yeah. they're all basing it on the real guy, and right. so there's there's something of a reality there, even if he's being wildly distorted. There's still something about him you can recognized as being okay well he's got this characteristic whereas when you've got characters from comics there's no solid thing that you can kind of hang your jacket on and go okay well this is the real guy nobody ever goes well you know my interpretation of the president is he's nine feet tall (laughs) oh that's not that's not it at all. He's still got to look human being size. Mine's purple. It's like, what? No. You know, but in comics, you go, hey, here's the Hulk. Well, how big's the Hulk? Well, sometimes somebody draws him. He's a he's like a sort of a beefy dude, and he's maybe six foot six. And then some people draw him 15 feet tall. Yeah, right. Like, that's, that's a huge range. You know, so what's what's the model here if, if everybody's just going in wildly different directions? So what direction do you go? I try to think what is best for the company and the character overall. Like if you're drawing the kingpin, you know, well, he should look like he's a powerful guy. He shouldn't look like you could just tip him over and he would roll on down the road. He, he should look powerful. So the emphasis should not be so much on the baldness of him and the roundness of him. And it should be more on, okay, this guy's got big, huge hands. And he's got huge shoulders and he's just this bigger, more powerful kind of guy. And that makes him a more menacing character and a stronger uh, Spider-Man villain and a stronger character Marvel in general. Actually, if you look at the first time I drew um, Kingpin in whatever though, whatever there is one story which which acts of vengeance, I guess. Yeah, with the cosmic Spider-Man. Like he appeared in like a panel in there, and he was like a ball with a head on top. But <laughs> yeah. then when I, when I put when he was in one of the sequences in the uh, Return of the Sinister Six, that I kind of felt like. Well, that's the way I'd actually draw Kingpin because he's got more more of an emphasis on on big shoulders and big hands, and he looked more like a menacing, formidable character. 
And I think a lot of that is just making those kind of stylistic decisions of, okay, well, what what does this look like? And a lot of times what I end up falling back to on, on Spider-Man was to just go, okay, well, what did the first guy do? Because he's the guy who's establishing what this guy's face is constructed like. Usually their very first appearance is is the the most distinct and then it becomes somewhat more watered down over time as as artists kind of know in the back of their head, oh, I know what this guy looks like. I don't even have to look up and see what <laughs> I, I drew him before. Yeah, right. And they, they get kind of this generic thing. Like you look at real early um, Flash Thompson and he's got curly hair and he's got a very different kind of physicalness than he does but by the time that he's been filtered through John Romita, John Buscema, uh, Ross Andrew, and and all the rest. By yeah. the time he gets to, to modern comics, suddenly you look at him and go, he just looks like Steve Rogers with his hair colored slightly darker. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you look back at the early comics, like, no, that guy's got a, a kind of distinctive look. It's a real different kind of look. And that was something that I wanted to, to kind of emphasize with a lot of the characters is to just go, well, let's find a, a Dr. Octopus face. Like what does his face look like? What does, what does the uh, vulture look like in comparison with these other characters and how can I make them be really distinctive and, and have a kind of unique look that, that they don't aren't necessarily having anymore at this point, you know? Well, yeah, you put Dr. Octopus in a suit. That was a, a, a unique take on Dr. Octopus. Well, he it, when he had initially started, he was a guy who was wearing a lab coat. And then the next time we saw him, he was in jail, and he, and he was wearing just whatever any other prisoner in jail would, would wear. Right. And then as t- time went on, sometimes he'd be wearing, you know, essential like hooligan kind of clothes where it's like he's just wearing a sweater and, and a regular pair of pants and shoes. And it was only towards the end of Ditko's run where suddenly he's in something that's kind of like a jumpsuit. But even then it was more like loose fitting coveralls and less like tights. Right. But then once you get into the John Romita's part, suddenly it's like, Oh no, he's wearing tights. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and eventually just like we got a fat guy running around in tights here. This is not a good <laughs> this guy does not look menacing. What can we what can we do here? And there was around the period I was sharing a studio with a bunch of other guys, and one of them was uh, a commercial artist who was was drawing the you know you're familiar with color color forms, I think they're called. Oh yes, yep. There you know, there's like the, there's these rubber things that you put on to backgrounds and like you can act out the scenes here's me was doing dick tracy color forms nice so he had all these model sheets of all the the dick tracy characters from the uh from the warren Beatty movie oh yeah so it was right around that time and so he had all these all these pictures and stills and stuff and i was looking at those going that's that's more what Dr. Octopus should be doing. He should be like that, that kind of uh, like he, he would always fit in with those kind of gangster kind of things. Anyway, you'd always, you know, there'd be this bunch of gangsters hanging around and then here's Dr. Octopus in his tights hanging out with him, his brightly colored <laughs> tights. It's like one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> well, seeing him in a suit makes him look more confident in himself. Like he's got yeah. a really commanding presence now. Yeah. Also, you know, he's he's got the physical strength of an ordinary human being when it comes to his actual physical stuff. So why is he trying to punch Spider-Man at all? He's my thought was he should just be doing anything else and just have his arms do all the work. And so I would frequently have him just be in the you know smoking his cigarette or or pouring himself a cup of coffee or just <laughs> doing something else with his, with his regular human being hands. Right. 
that that is like, oh, back your tying my shoes while I'm kicking the living crap out of you. <laughs> you know? Oh man, yeah, it's yeah. Like, you're not even worth my effort. I can do this without even paying attention to you. You know, I'm back here trying to comb my hair and keep this cowl from <laughs> kicking your ass. Yeah, it certainly came off great. And man, you go crazy with the arms as well. Just the visuals that you give with them. Just yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Just yeah. be like, what, what can I do with this? It's really, a, it's like a counterpoint to Spider-Man's webs at that point. Yeah, I was, I, I had a good time with with Doctor Octopus in particular, and and you know he had gone from being kind of this, the the laughing stock of Spider-Man, you know, that he is like, oh, I'm not very self confident, and I'm super chubby and I got this other and it's like come on man quit yeah. being such a whiner <laughs> you know you're a, you're a goddamn super villain look at you get some confidence here yeah when you first started on on Spider-Man then you came into a period where Spider-Man is not even really Spider-Man he's got all these incredible powers um did that affect the way you drew Spider-Man yeah whatever I I just <laughs> I mean, I, she tried to keep him physically as as looking as close to what he's supposed to look like as as you do. I I was okay with that. Did you get to design the Captain Universe uh, costume? Yeah, but there wasn't much of a design there. It was just putting that the Captain Universe costume had been designed by uh, Michael Golden earlier on, I think. Okay. So, uh, you know, for me to, to do it, it was just like, I'll just put that over Spider-Man's stuff. So all we're seeing is the little bit of Spider-Man's mask sticking right. out under that. Um, a cool costume that I really do like that, I, that I'm pretty sure you designed here is Cardiac. That was one of your designs, right? Yeah, Cardiac. Yeah, and, he was really uh, cool. I liked that. Solo actually was, was uh, mine as well. Oh, yeah. For a guy that doesn't like Punisher, um, solo kind of. Well, that was that was the kind of the the gig, you know. Yeah. Um, Mark Silvestri had drawn him from behind, so he never <laughs> he never drew his like mask or what how that all came together. And then uh, Todd, I knew Todd. We I met Todd up at a comic book convention, and so I knew him. And I was I had drawn my fill-in issue. But he hadn't drawn the issue before my fill-in issue yet. So when I was visiting him, he was frantically trying to get his issue done. So there's actually some pages in in 323 where I was going in and drawing solo penciling Solo's costume in oh, yeah. places, and then that time was being able to ink them. Because it's like he didn't know what he looked like, and I'm sitting there like, all right, well, I'm here. Might, might as well help you out. <laughs> That's so funny. That's There's great. a little bit of stuff there. Wow. So you would got to do another Punisher story when there was this crossover with Spider-Man. How did that differ from the, the Punisher that you did before? Well, it's a lot goofier because they're fighting robots and yeah. nonsense like that. Definitely. So, so in terms of, of that, um, I, I didn't feel like I, I needed to have him have a real gun, particularly like oh, you can you can have kind of a a made up gun instead of a, a, a right. real gun. Yeah, yeah. The fans of uh, Punisher are not necessarily paying attention to to this story. Yeah, and and Spider Man fans are more forgiving. They they don't they're not sitting there going, oh look at that, that doesn't look like <laughs> super real gun, right? But I had all this reference at that point anyway, so I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> I might have used real guns. Maybe I, was, maybe I was still doing it. But at least they were kind of, they roughly approximated a gun. Whereas, you know, what I'm doing now, I'm, I'm just making stuff up. So it's kind of a different animal. Uh, one of my favorite Venom stories is the one that you did when he, they're fighting on the beach and, and uh, he thinks that he killed actually killed spider-man um and i just love your design your interpretation of venom with this huge huge mouth and all of the the drool and stuff it's one of my favorites oh cool <laughs> that's another one of those things where um it, it was just me trying to top the guy who did it before me you yeah. know 
and it's and it kind of that's how a lot of this stuff transforms is that the the last you'll be looking at the last guy and go okay well how do i take this to the next step from here and then how do and then the next guy's going all right i gotta i got it's been handed to me now time for me to make that move yeah <laughs> well i can just see is like and uh more teeth and uh, longer tongue <laughs> yeah well the thing is that that I thought Todd was giving him a tongue now because there was a trade paperback that collected a bunch of Todd's Spider-Man stories. But I'd, I'd had all Spider all, all of Todd's Spider-Man comics, so I didn't need to buy this trade. But on the cover, Venom had his mouth open and you could see his tongue. So I was like, oh, Todd's giving him a tongue now. <laughs> I didn't buy it, so I didn't bring it home. I just had had in my the back of my head was Todd's drawing him a tongue now. I got to make him give him an even bigger, crazier tongue. That's and awesome. It, and so I always thought, well, Todd's the guy who introduced his tongue. And it wasn't until years later that I saw that that trade paperback again, where I was like, no, he just had his mouth open, and you could see that there was a dot of red in there. <laughs> he wasn't giving him a tongue at all. He didn't do anything with it. It was just that, that it existed in his mouth. That's so funny. <laughs> and for years, I've been crediting Todd as, oh, no, no, I, I got that from the McFarland cover. Little did I know, it's just my terrible memory. <laughs> so you rounded up your time on Amazing Spider-Man with a great story with Dr. Doom. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that was uh, that was an interesting one, too, because you it's a... It's not a typical Spider-Man villain that you're uh, that we've that you've kind of built up to to the climax of your run here. How did you fit Doctor Doom into the Spider-Man world, like the way that you draw these characters? Um, it wasn't it wasn't a particular stretch. It's just uh, at that point I had sort of developed how I drew stuff and what things were going to look like, and I just kind of it's like I, I know what he looks like. I probably all these various comics here. I definitely had the the Kirby stuff out, although I don't think I really pulled enough of that in as I would have liked. I mean, these days I, it would have been more on the money. Yeah, I was going to say it's not a particularly Kirby-ish Doctor Doom. Yeah, it's not a not an especially Kirby-esque Doctor Doom. Um, but it was just that's that's what I was doing at the time. I. It was the thing where, where the, the editor at that point was really concerned about me making the deadline on that. So the issue before, I had to turn around super fast in order to in order for me to be able to even do the issue because they were like, well, we got to give you a fill-in on 349 so you can do this double-size 350. And I was like, oh, man, I hate to end my run with a fill in and then my last issue. So yeah. let me, let me do the issue before, but I'll, I'll do it fast. And so I did that issue in eight days. Wow. Holy cow. Oh, <laughs> man, eight days. <laughs> and then the double size one took me, uh, took me a little longer than a month, but it wow. was like, you know, five, five weeks maybe. Well, it is impressive your um, your work ethic here because, like, the return of the Sinister Six was a biweekly at that point, right? Yeah, that was that was madness. And Plus, at that point, because I was doing Spider Man, there's a lot of people who were like, "Hey, come to our convention! Hey, fly over here!" <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! I get to be all over the place." And it's like, oh, no, now you've got to draw all these comics super fast and in hotel rooms and all over the place. And how, how are you going to make this work? And I, yeah. I made it through it. I mean, luckily, the you know, convention season is during the summer. And the, the Sinister Six stories, you know, they need a little bit of lead time. So I was by the time the summer convention season kicked in, was right around the time that I, I was finishing up doing the Sinister Six stuff. So it worked out all right. Yeah. But yeah, those are some those are some hairy times. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, and you worked with a couple different inkers at that point too. I think I saw that um, Mike Mocklin and Randy Emberlin were, were alternating issues. Yeah. Mike started on the, on the book with me, kind of. 
You know, it's like Art, Art Nichols did my fill-in way earlier. Al Gordon inked my two kind of fill-in issues, 324, 327. Then Salakrup had suggested, uh, now I'm blanking on the guy's name who did 329, but uh, he wasn't my choice. I wanted Macklin to do it. And then Macklin, once he was on the book, he had some uh, he had some deadline issues, and he was kind of ha- having a, a buddy of his help out. Oh, like, yeah. Those those pages looked just very different. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I think that's probably in the Punisher story. I, I noticed stuff like that. There was there were some pages there that were like, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't the same guy. <laughs> and, you know, he was swearing up and down. It, it was the same guy, but it's like. Uh, you know, years later, I found out who it was, but <laughs> <laughs> at the time, you know, no, I swear to you, when I'm really fast, I ink like an entirely different human being. <laughs> <laughs> but then during the, the bi-weekly stuff, there, there's a number of different guys. Uh, Terry Austin inked a couple issues in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. And those were super sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and And then, yeah, that was when the handoff came over to... To Randy Amberlin, who stuck with it through the end of my run and then passed. But there was a couple issues too where they just handed it out to any warm body in the office. And so I got to have pages inked by Jack Abel and John Ramita Sr. and wow. just whoever happened to be, you know, available at the time. So it was kind of neat. Yeah, at the end of um, issue 350, there's a, that pinup gallery where you're inked by a bunch of like the guys in the industry. That uh, and it's really interesting to see how they um, how they interpret your pencils. Mm-hmm. It is always interesting to see what other people bring to the table. And at that point, inkers had uh, a real distinctive look to them that were that were very different. I think. And what we have going on right now, right now it seems like pencilers are doing much, much tighter pencils and inkers are trying to be as faithful to those pencils as humanly possible. Earlier on, you would have a, a, a job where there would be multiple inkers would, would be inking it and it wouldn't be seamless at all. It would just <laughs> jarringly change from one page to the next. Whereas now you can have two or three guys inking away at one book and you can't tell one guy leaves off and another one starts. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's better. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely has its um, pros and cons, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's good because it's consistent, I guess, you know, so it's got that going on for it. But. At the same time, it's like, oh, that's... Kind of devalues the inker then, in that sense. Yeah, it does. And I, and I, and I liked that there was that, that process there where, where everybody would be bringing something else to the table. And, you know, that the inks could look really transform something. I kind of liken it to a relay race where, you know, before... It used to be that one guy would run half the race and hand the baton to the next guy, and the next guy would take it to the finish line. Now it seems like the two guys are just running one in front of the other, and the inker is just really trying to step in the same footprints as the original guy running the race. It takes the penciler way longer because he's trying to be super, super complete, and then really slows down the anchor too because he's trying to be as faithful and meticulous as he can mm-hmm. and really can't add much of his own personality to the work. Wow. And yeah. I just think like, man, this is, this is kind of a mistake to do things this way. It just seems like there's a, a, a better way. Really the reason that this whole process was set up in the first place was to speed things up. And you're not taking advantage of the inker's skills that he brings to the table and the pencilers ending up essentially doing the inker's work by putting in line weights and all sorts of just niggly little details that it's like, why is somebody tracing this off? If you're going to be <laughs> yeah. put, putting those tiny little things in there, why don't you just have a pen in your hand at that point? Yeah, right. No kidding. 
So you worked with uh, David Michelinie on these. He was your mm-hmm. writer for Spider-Man. Now, did you uh, work with him? Was he solely the the writer, or did you get to collaborate with him in the storytelling at all? Uh, the, I know. I mean, I know you collaborate in the storytelling in the sense that you're the you're the penciler, but I mean, like with actually the plots and coming up with the ideas. Yeah. No. There was. It was him. It was him. We we didn't. We weren't working that that closely that I was telling him, yeah, draw this, write this. I want to draw this, that sort of thing. <laughs> well, so, I noticed that there is one scene that, uh, let me see if I have to remember what issue this is. Um, I think it's in the Sinister Six story when just Nova, there's just one splash page of Nova flying by and the Spider-Man's like, help me. And then he's, he's gone. And I have to imagine <laughs> that's like, that's you saying, I really want to draw Nova. <laughs> so I'm putting that in well, there. Well, part of that at that we we kind of were looking at the the old annual where the where the sinister six had first appeared and a part of that was well there was it had all these little cameos from other marvel characters so that's okay that's kind of like let's let's emulate that a little bit i also every every villain in that had got to have a splash page where they were doing their thing. Yes. And so that was something where it's like, all right, I got to give every one of these villains a splash page where he's strutting his stuff. They're so good. Yeah. They're really great. And that, you know, that was just part of the fun of, of doing that book and trying to go, okay, what can I do that would be different from the way he did it and stuff like that. Actually, I think David was a little annoyed at me that I didn't tell him, that I wanted to do that because he was like, I would have written this in such a way that we could have everybody would have had their moment. And I was like, oh well. <laughs> what can I say? I'm not I'm not very good at, at communicating with other people. Oh boy. Well, so after you finish with Amazing Spider Man, you move over to the other Spider Man title to take over for Todd again. Um, mm-hmm. But this time you get to write. So how did you come across this gig? Did they ask you? Yeah, that was another just you know looking for looking for somebody who who'll do the work. We just need a we just need a warm body here. <laughs> I I had uh, written and written and drawn a three part uh, Wolverine and Spider Man story for Marvel Comics Presents while I was working on Amazing Spider Man. So there was at least that out there where people could go, okay, well, I guess you can, you can do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll give it to this guy. <laughs> um, doesn't sound like uh, you're not giving yourself as much credit as you deserve. Well, you never, you never know. I mean, at, at one point, I just was like, I need to learn how to ink. And I had contacted Terry Cavanaugh, and I just said, yeah, just send me whatever you got. and Because I don't want to ink my own stuff at that point because, I don't know, if I just wanted to practice on somebody who was doing more complete pencils than I figured I would be giving myself. And so he just sent me some stuff. He was like, well, I've got a, I've got a Namor annual here drawn by James Fry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Why don't you send me that? He's like, well, I'm on kind of a deadline. How much of it can you ink? Can I just send, just send me all of it. I'll do it. So that was sort of like, okay, here you go. There's 35 pages dropped in your lap that we need in a few weeks. So Whoa. get to it, you know, figure this <laughs> stuff out. I, I really enjoyed working with Terry because Terry – just kind of trusted that I was going to do stuff. And I, part of that was because I actually would do it. Right. <laughs> I mean, and that, that helps more than anything is if you actually do the work that people, you know, assign to you, then you, there gets to be this trust issue and you can kind of take that and you, you get more and more freedom to be able to do this other stuff because people go, okay, you're actually doing the work. Awesome. Hmm. So, uh, and that, that was the case with him. I got to ink a, a Steve Ditko human torch story that was oh, nice. just sitting around there with nobody, you know, to work on. It's like, hell yeah, I'll do that. That sounds fun. 
when you were writing this uh, Spider-Man story that you did the the issue with the Beast, where uh-huh. where um, Peter and Mary Jane are kind of talking about whether or not they want to have a baby, and uh-huh. then in the Sinister Six you get into some topics about um, you know Mary Jane's going to shoot this movie and it's got some nude scenes in it. It seems like uh, you really bring some so a lot more sort of maturity to to the title just with that with those kind of topics yeah well a, a lot of that was was just me as a as a reader going well what 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 do i want to read and also as just a creator going what, what can i bring to this what can i what can i add to this character i always like stories where you find out a little bit more about the characters like you know the question i have with with any story is well why is this even here other than to, to just entertain people is there is there any other reason that this exists at all and so so one of the things that i try to do just as a writer is to have every issue be important in some way so it's like all right well this is going to answer these questions you're going to get to know this character a little bit better and like that. And, and part of a lot of that was, was in there is to go, okay, well, if Peter Parker is opening up his refrigerator, what's in there when he wants something to eat, what does he eat? Hmm. If is does he have a favorite movie? What kind of music does he listen to? And a lot of that stuff is, is kind of sprinkled throughout that, those stories it's just, just there. I'm just kind of answering some of those simple little questions, the kind of things to get the answers to when you meet somebody, you know, right out of the gate. You kind of go through, okay, well, uh, you know, if I'm dating some some new person, you just kind of find out, okay, well, well what do you like? What's your favorite movie? What's your what? What's this? What's that? And um, and I and I was just trying to kind of round out those characters a little bit more, you know. Yeah, yeah. Parker and Mary Jane—they've been married for a while. Every couple, and you know, inevitably has that discussion of, okay, we 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 doing this or what? We're gonna have? Do we want to have kids? Is this something we even want? And then you know, you just start start answering those questions. Okay, well, what do, what does that mean? How would that work? Uh, is this something we even want, or or where are we at with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought it was handled really well, and it's like coming from different angles, and you can tell that they both really want it, but at the same time, they don't. They're they're afraid, and that's the you know, it's a it's something that I, I have three kids, so I have gone through that situation myself, and it was portrayed in a very relatable way. I was like, yeah, that's I understand what, where these guys are coming from. Yeah. That's that was yeah. it. There's it's like, there you go. <laughs> here's here's you know the, here's the attempt, and you, you do what you can with it. Yeah. What would you say is uh, stuff that you learned writing and penciling for Spider-Man that you carried over to Savage Dragon? I don't know that there's anything that I learned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not much of a learner. Okay. Uh, I mean, most of most of the stuff that I've got that that's is just you know make make your deadlines make every you know for for at least what i'm doing now it's it's just like i said making every story count making it mean something have there be some something that just informs the characters a little bit more informs the readers a little bit more so that you you just kind of go oh okay this this all is part of this bigger tapestry and it all kind of comes together and, and you get more out of this than you would have otherwise. Nice. It's, you know, and I, and I think that's, that's cool as for a reader to go, Hey, I just read this story and now I have this better understanding of these characters than I, than I had before. And it doesn't have to be groundbreaking or, or so crazy or, or whatever. And every story doesn't need to be the end of the world sometimes it's kind of more interesting just to get some these smaller personal questions answered it makes collecting the single issues 
a much more worthwhile if you if you have that in every yeah. single issue. Well, I, I, absolutely, the one of the things that I really want to do in 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 every story is to just go, yeah, the, those individual comics, those mean something, and those you know those are something complete. You're getting a full meal here. You're not just getting a, a piece of some bigger chapter mm-hmm. this is telling a, a bigger more complete story and i, I think that's 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 important I, w- I want somebody to walk away from any individual comic and feel like they had a good ride yeah. you know and you're up to number savage dragon number 233 now uh what's what's new in the world of eric larson that you'd like to tell our <laughs> listeners i'm just seeing how far i can go with this it's been been a, a, a kind of a fun ride because I kind of treat this book uh, like one one of the things that people are always you inevitably get in these conversations, especially as as readers get older, and they go, "Oh man, I'm I just turned thirty. I'm now older than Superman. Superman's <laughs> always going to be twenty nine forever." You know, yeah. you get to that point where you you realize, God, I've got to be older than than Peter Parker. Oh man, I've got, I'm probably like Ben Grimm's age now. Holy (laughs) And and inevitably you get that. Wouldn't it be cool if these characters would, would age the way I do and just kind of grow up with me and, and stuff like that. Yeah. That's the one thing that I I wanted to do in, in my own book was, well, let's just play that out and see how that works. What if the characters grew up? what would happen the the problem that that marvel or a dc or kind of anybody has is are they can they count on the next creator coming in there and creating something that's as sound and commercial and viable as spider-man it's like ah that's a that's kind of a tough call you know yeah to expect that that some creator is just going to come in and they're like, oh no, don't worry about Spider-Man getting older. I'm going to create a character who's every bit as popular as Spider-Man. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm saying you're not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to take a wild stab here and say, you're for every character you kill off, you are not going to create something that's of equal or more value. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas on my own, doing my own book. I kind of feel like, yeah, I can, I can do that. You know, if if I get rid of one bad guy, I can come up with another bad guy. I'm pretty sure that I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I can keep this going forever in a way, you know. And, and I can have these, the, the book, it, it hands from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, and just keep that going forever where characters have kids and then those kids have kids and then everybody keeps growing up so it kind of ends up being uh you know marvel comics grows up in a way yeah. or, or where you know things keep keep changing it's like hey, it's comics that grow up with you wow. you know so part of that is you know you've got this limited real estate where you go these 20 pages have to cover a month's worth of, of basic material and don't you dare just start pissing away pages that don't matter or don't go anywhere because you've only got so much space and you've got a co- we got a lot of ground to cover because characters have kids and those kids are now getting older and are we are we just going to cut from them being infants to being walking around and talking because that seems kind of abrupt if you're reading it as a reader right so, you know it's been a real challenge because the, the the whole storytelling sensibility of of the books in general is by necessity wildly different. If you've got some villain who's scheming behind the scenes in a regular comic, that's fine for them to be sitting there with their hands behind their backs, you know, in a sparsely furnished. <laughs> room for for two or three issues and it, when you're doing it in a comic where every issue is a month it's like 
really? You're just going to stand there with your hands behind your back for three months? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Come up with something, dude. <laughs> um, and, you know, like characters getting on a bus and going somewhere, you can kind of pull that off in, 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 a, in any other kind of comic as, okay, this, they're going to be on that bus for a couple issues while I resolve all these other things. Yeah. In this, it's like, do they just keep getting on the wrong bus? How come they're, never, they're, just, they're just never going to show up. This is crazy. <laughs> so it just necessitates just an entirely different kind of mindset as yeah, though. Yeah. How is how can this work? How how are you going to make this work? And 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 some things do seem a little uh, truncated at times, or where if you're used to this storytelling sensibility of other comics you you read this and it's like wow that seemed like i was resolved super quickly how come this isn't a 25 part epic the way it is <laughs> in some other comics like right really three parts and you're done that's it it's like yeah that's about it you know i can't i can't really just extend things out or i have to do these catch-up issues where several months go by in a single issue which can be a little weird too. Yeah. So for this kind of uh, storytelling, do you have to like have your plan, your calendar and, and plot out uh, month by month, the, the various different subplots and everything that's going on so that it makes sense? Ideally, I think a person would, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I just kind of have it in mind of, yeah. of where, where things are going and, and how I'm going to get to where I'm going to get. I, I just have a, I'm not making a strict writing things down kind of stuff. Generally, what I'm coming at it with is not so much this is where my story go, is going as I am this is where my characters are going. So right. I'll have I'll have various characters going. Well, this is my goal. I want to get from A to B, and then they either accomplish those things or they don't accomplish those things, rather than this is where my my big overarching story is going to go. Because I find that often you write yourself into corners with those things and you have to have characters acting really out of characters simply to facilitate this plot that you've got going on. It's like, ah, oh, the only way I can do this is if I have people suddenly talking out loud and telling each other about these plot details so that you <laughs> can overhear these plot details and be able to react to that. It just becomes really this convoluted mess of a story. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to treat it a little more, come at it a little more naturally the way real lives unfold. And you just go, well, I know in my own life, you know, I want to save up to buy me a Batmobile. So, okay. <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, everybody's got something where they're like, well, I, I want, this is my goal. I want to, I'm here and I want to get to there. How do I go about doing that? Yeah. And, you know, just do things, do things that way. I don't work out that way. Well, we're coming up on an hour here, and I want to let you get back to the rest of your day. So I want to thank you, Eric, for talking with us today. It was a real pleasure. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me.